We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast is sponsored by Liquid Death. Are you thirsty? Parched? Do you like dark and eerie sinister names for your beverages? Then you'll love Liquid Death. Go to liquiddeath.com, use the promo code BIGBLUE for a refreshing beverage ahead of Halloween season. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always my co-host, Nick Pilato. Tonight we're here to break down another Giants victory. Week four over the Chicago Bears. The Giants now move to three and one. I believe I saw a little stat on this that I'm now missing, so I'm going to try to pull up now as I talk through it. But this is their first time at three and one, I think, since 2011, Nick. I think since the Super Bowl 2011 year. Also, Brian Dable becomes the fastest of the last four Giants head coaches to win three games in a season. Uh, ben McAdoo did it week six. It took all the way to like week 11 or 10 for uh, or later for the last two coaches. So a lot of good trends from that standpoint. Look, it wasn't the prettiest game ever. We knew it kind of would be. Nick predicted 19 to 13. The final score was 20 to 12. So that's as damn close as you can get to making a corrective prediction. I didn't necessarily think it would happen like this. The Giants absolutely dominating the point of attack on the offensive side of the ball from a run standpoint now, which we'll get into soon. Some of that was great scheme by Kafka on these designed boots and different ways to get uh, Daniel Jones 69 yards rushing on six carries. But Saquon Barkley also carried the ball 30 times, which is a re- even for him. That's a very high count. And in addition to that, he had a high yards per carry. He ran the ball well. They ran the ball well with Brita on a couple plays. So they really took it to the Bears in this game from just an overall rush offense standpoint. 262 yards rushing, Nick, for the Giants on just 44 carries, a six yards per carry rush with two touchdowns, both Daniel Jones. Runs of 29 and 21 from Barkley and Jones, respectively. So did it in a lot of different ways in the run game in this one, Nick. And, you know, they get out, they get the win. They were aggressive on defense. They got home, what, five times overall. Really good game from the Giants, I thought. They took care of business. They never trailed in this game. Or did they did were they down three nothing in this game? I don't think so, correct? They never trailed in this game. They were down three nothing. The first okay. drive by never the mind. Bears was my a memory 10. is terrible. Yes. Now I do remember them now being down three since after going up seven to three, I should say. They never trailed after that point. We went into this game expecting the New York Giants to win, even though no victory is guaranteed. But at home against a team like the Chicago Bears, another team that is rebuilding, kind of parallel to the New York Giants right now in in many ways. Winning this football game is something the New York Giants should do at this point. I don't feel like the New York Giants are a team that that really should beat a lot of teams on their slate. After watching this game, I think the Giants' coaches are far superior to what the Chicago Bears have. And I feel like, again, Mike Kafka... Wink Martindale got the best of what the other team could do. And that, in terms of Wink Martindale, that's a young quarterback on the other side of the football. So taking advantage of him with a scheme like Wink Martindale runs is much easier than, than a veteran quarterback, like even a Cooper Rush, say. But I came away very pleased with what Kafka, Wink Martindale, and Brian Dable did to the Chicago Bears. Yeah, I think what's really interesting most to me, Nick, is this is the first matchup the Giants had this season with rookie coach versus rookie coach, Dable versus Eberflus over there. And it just felt watching this game 
Like the Giants were the team with a year three coach who had just come off a playoff run and had the team's entire back. It's amazing to me how fast this group of Giants players has taken to the coaching staff. We made plays in this game, the big plays in this game. They didn't make as many of the mistakes in this game, obviously special teams aside, but with the exception of the special teams, they didn't make many as many mistakes in this game. They felt like the veteran team who was in control the whole game and won the ball and won the game despite losing both their quarterbacks, their first and second string quarterbacks in a game, losing at one point Evan Neal, losing their right guard, their starting right guard, Mark Lewinsky, who didn't return to the game. And we'll get to all the injuries at the end of this game. There were, unfortunately, a ton more injuries for this Giants team, but they felt like the team that didn't have the rookie coach. And like you said, maybe that is just because you have such a weekly edge when you have Kafka on one side of the ball and Wink on the other side of the ball. And it was felt again in this game. I mean, look, the Giants won a game here where they threw for 71 yards passing. That doesn't happen often in the NFL. If you throw for 71 yards passing, you got to think to yourself, like, how are we getting yards? How are we scoring points? Because mostly when that happens, a defense can tee off on the run game and really do things to limit it from a schematic standpoint. But yet, like you said, Nick, the Giants cashed in when it counted, specifically in the red zone. Those two 75-yard touchdown drives were progress to me. And I, it was a little bit of a funky game, too. I feel like the offense had a chance to do even more than that. But they had the fumble on the punt that took away momentum, and then they got the ball back on their next one right before halftime. And right now, with where the Giants are at on offense, I think we've seen at least through the first four games, Nick, they do not trust this group to execute a two-minute offense. They tried it two weeks ago, or was that uh, maybe two or three weeks ago, three weeks ago, before the Cowboys game, and they nearly threw what, an interception that could have been a pick six, a game-changing pick six. Even if they tackle him, that could have been a game-changing interception. So where they're at right now, I get it, but ultimately it was a little bit of a fluky game, I thought, with, with the offense not getting as many possessions where they could have cashed in before the injury to Jones because then obviously everything changes post-Jones injury. Even you saw when Tyrod Taylor first came into the game, they didn't really have too much. They didn't want to expand things too much. They didn't want Taylor to throw the interception. I think when we watched Teddy Bridgewater a couple of nights ago with the unfortunate Tua situation, Nick, we saw Bridgewater was not on the same page with receivers, one leading to an interception, and ultimately they also had to try to scale back that game until they were forced to pass the ball. So all in all, I actually felt like there was even some progress in the offensive side of the ball in this one, Nick. Not even just the injury situation, which is obviously paramount. But I think Brian Dable, Mike Kafka needed a quarterback who could execute the scheme that they've basically been running since week one, which is move the pocket, which is play action bootlegs, roll the quarterback out, get him going in one direction, use misdirection to get the defense going in another direction, take advantage of the fact that opposing defenses are focusing so hard on Saquon Barkley. Because look at what's some of the things that Mike Kafka does, bro. Like Kafka does a magnificent job getting Jones to the sideline and putting a covering defender in a situation where they're going to be wrong no matter what. The first and 10 nine-yard pass to Daniel Bellinger, the DB had to step up the Jones or sit in coverage and allow Jones to rush for four, five, six, seven yards before he can attack. The DB ends up stepping up to Jones. Jones does a good job just dunking it right over his head, Daniel Bellinger, for nine yards. I mean, this offensive coordinator continues to attack the sideline, use the lateral rushing attack with this quarterback to throw the football, to use his quarterback's legs, and to continuously put defenders into conflict through a variety of different methods, man. RPO pass with the, off the zone read. We saw that again. Uh, the first and 10, I think it was quarter one, 715 is what I have written down. It was the RPO pass. Daniel Jones works to the sideline. Daniel Bellinger's running in the flat. You have the number one receiver either going vertical or running a stick, depending on the leverage of the defensive back. Jones just kept it this time, but we saw him throw it to Daniel Bellinger the last two weeks. Like that play right there is free, easy yardage. It gets your quarterback into a rhythm. It gets your offense confidence. That is just what good offensive coordinators do. And it looks like the Giants really have a damn good one. We've been saying it for about a month now, but it's ringing true every single week. And he does adjustments and he takes advantage of the defensive aggressiveness. I love what I'm seeing. Yeah, every week there's free yardage. Every week there's free plays coming from this coordinator. I mean, today, obviously, I mean, part of it was he probably saw on film, this is a Bears defense that will over-pursue. This is a Bears defense that may not be the most disciplined in their run fits. And what did we see as viewers? We saw the Giants score a touchdown on a bootleg to Jones in basically the same exact way. At one point, you know, who I was watching was like, why can't the Bears stop this? They're literally using the same thing every time and ultimately you know they had the one play where it wasn't the exact same play but they tried boot action tried to move jones and he got tackled sacked in the back though unfortunately it was the play jones got hurt on but 
They scored two touchdowns in the red zone, which is not a thing that happens so often under Jason Garrett. Aggressively attack what the Bears are doing. That's over-pursuing. That's not playing discipline. And this this defense, to me, I thought even in the run game. Now, Nick, maybe some of this is, wow, it all flipped. It all clicked, right? On short rest, despite playing on Monday Night Football, everything clicked in the run game. Or maybe some of this is this Bears defense was not as disciplined as the Cowboys were or the Panthers were in their run fits and in the run game. And I think both the Cowboys and Panthers on a different level defensively than the Bears, who probably, you know, have done pretty good, at least to this point before this game, in pass defense, less so in run defense. And it showed up in this game. It wasn't exactly like that Seattle game from 2020. I remember where Gallman ran for like 150, but it felt similar in, in so, on some of the plays that I was watching uh, with Barkley executing in the run game. With Jones in the run game, it's like you said, they're doing great things schematically to beat maybe any defense at this point because it's been working pretty often now. Of course, the injuries could change that. We'll get to all of that in a bit, but I do think you're right. I feel like they got another advantage, another weekly advantage from Kafka in this game. And I mean, look, when you have an offense that is doing things like David Sills dropping a pass right over the middle, which is like perfect, pretty perfectly hit, hit him right in the hands for a first down. And you have penalties and different things that are slowing down your passing game, your drop back passing game. This is one way to get yards. They've essentially turned Daniel Jones almost into running back too. they're almost running some variety, Nick, of like. The early, early when, you know, they didn't have a season of game planning for Lamar Jackson offense with Greg Roman in his first year. It was like really utilizing both the running back and the quarterback's ability to run at any time and move in different directions and be, you know, different areas of the field with the ball in their hands or with the ball not in their hands to their advantage. And then, like you said, putting a defender in conflict. Jones could still throw the ball. Jones is actually throwing the ball pretty well in the run. So I thought that was excellent. They're developing a plan for the personnel. We haven't seen that in a while. We haven't seen specific plan. And one last thing about that, Nick, I, th- I find so funny. Like you mentioned, you know, all this boot action and all the game plan to, to get the quarterback to move the pocket, give him options. We said that that's what Jason Garrett should try forever when he was having problems with the offensive line. I felt like under Garrett, Nick, they would try it a little bit different things, but they never commit to it. And they never have a whole game plan based off of it. And well, I wouldn't say never. Carolina, they did. And that's yeah, how they, they beat Phil Snow. Carolina game. You're right. But they didn't move the ball like this game, really. They sort of moved. Not really. I'm not. I don't have yeah. the statistics in front of me, but that was an impressive game plan from a comprehensive standpoint, like the defense, the offense, everybody just shut down Carolina, but it was Carolina They're They've been pathetic ever since then. And somehow they still have relatively the same coaching staff in place. But those two touchdown runs are the same play, dude. And speaking of Jason Garrett, 13 personnel. 13 personnel to the field, all three tight ends on the same side, a triple Y freaking set. And what you do is you open, and this is the brilliance of it, and I'll probably break it down on Twitter or something, but you open Daniel Jones off the handoff from single back, so he's under center. Daniel Jones opens to the strength. Saquon Barkley ends up going like he's going to run to the weak side. So what does that do to the defense? They see him open to the strength, and they see Daniel Jones turn back to the weak side. So the defense is like, oh, no, I'm out of position. I need to get to the weak side of the formation. So they all over-pursue, but it's a freaking ruse, man. Tanner Hudson, who is the tight end on the end of the line of scrimmage, releases into a route to take away that deep defender. Everybody else gets blocked down because they're pursuing Saquon Barkley. This happened freaking twice. And Daniel Jones just keeps the football. If he has the guy open, Tanner Hudson, he can throw it, but he doesn't. So he just runs it each time. Like the little subtlety of him opening to the strong side and then turning weak side causes the defense to slightly panic and say, I'm a little bit behind. I really need to be over aggressive now to get to Saquon Barkley on the weak side. And not to mention, Dan. Kafka was running weak side off of formations that were double wide. I think one of those really long runs in the first half was off of a formation like that, where they basically just pulled Feliciano around Glowinski, and there was really good blocking to that side. Andrew Thomas also pulled on both of those touchdown runs, showing the same damn look, and they actually ran the same damn play off of it this time, and Chicago's defense, for whatever reason, did not adjust to it. I mean, that's just an indictment on Allen Williams, an indictment on Matt Eberflus, but more importantly, probably this defense who was being over-aggressive and just got exploited by Mike Kafka and this Giants coaching staff, and just made him pay. Yeah, exactly. You nailed it. And it's not like to say, you know, we're knocking the other coaching staff, but at the same time, the Giants had a lot more solutions from a coaching standpoint, from a schematic standpoint on offense versus the Bears defense than the Bears offense did versus the Giants defense. And I don't think there was too much of a difference in personnel. Like the Giants defense from a personnel standpoint right now 
isn't great. Let's be honest about the situation. I like how it, what we saw from their edges today, and that's something new that we could be getting juice-wise, but they got Love injured in this game. They got Aaron Robinson injured in this game. Leonard Williams is still not back. They Tay Crowder played maybe the best game of his entire career, which we can get into, but they're still lacking at, at, at times. You know, this is not perfect, and it won't be perfect at linebacker. And so I don't feel like the Giants' defense had too much of an edge. And on the flip side of the ball, the Giants, while the injuries on offense, didn't have any kind of crazy edge, I don't think personnel-wise at least, versus the Bears' defense. I think it was pretty evenly matched personnel-wise this game, to be completely honest, though the Giants did have Saquon Barkley, who probably, quite frankly, was the best player on the field on either side of the ball. But still, with that said, this is what good coaching looks like. This They were in control for almost the entire game, with the exception of the early field goal. They won despite losing their starting quarterbacks. They won despite ridiculous special teams gaps that are just piling up now over the week. I, at one point, Nick, I tweeted, like, Giants are just handing out like so many yards a week. They're dumping yards on special teams, it's, it feels like, week after week. Luckily, they got the fumble back at the end. But... This is what it looks like to have a team that's playing really hard for its coach and coach well. One, there are a few things I want to talk about before we get into the big picture stuff, too. So we, we can't bury the lead. The big picture stuff is what's going to happen now, given with all the injuries as they move forward to this London game. But one thing I felt like, at least from the broadcast angle, just watching through once, Nick, was the run game felt like it was blocking better than and maybe again. It's the matchup. I don't know. Look, it's definitely not the Cowboys defensive front. It's definitely not. Panthers defensive run. It's probably not even as good as the Titans defensive front with what's left. You know, no Akeem Hicks, no Khalil Mack, not the same guys that we're used to seeing on this Bears defense. But did you feel like the run game was blocking more in sync for the Giants and they were starting to execute some of the things they've probably been practicing and it started to look a little bit more in sync? Absolutely. They were running the ball really well. And that was before and after the Mark Lewinsky injury. I mean, they had to bring Josh Azudu in, kick Ben Bredesen over to the other side. And I still felt like the the running game was pretty solid even after that. And I'll have a little bit more information on that once we go over the all 22, but there were some run blocking plays with Evan Neal, where I saw Evan Neal driving people into the ground. He looked a little bit better. Now there was that one long run in the first quarter by Saquon Barkley, where Neal kind of slid off of his block. So maybe it's not all perfect, but absolutely. I felt like the run blocking was much more superior than the previous two weeks. It reminded me a little bit more of what the Giants did in Tennessee, not from a scheme standpoint, just from an effectiveness standpoint, because I didn't see many double pulling type of plays. There were a lot of single pullers. So the Giants are still operating the pin pull concept pretty well, whether it be the guard in the center or the guard in the tackle, depending on whatever run they are. But I just love the way that they're employing these unbalanced sets and then running to the weak side of those unbalanced sets to keep the defense honest. Because when you align in an unbalanced set, Dan, that means there's double Y sets. And in this game, triple Y sets or three tight ends to one side. If you're the Bears defense, what are you going to do? You have to account for those players. So you move a lot of your defenders in that way. Whenever the Bears did that, if they wanted to align two six techniques over the tight ends, which they did once on a double Y set, that's two more players that are going to be towards the strong side. So just run weak side. And if you get good blocking on to the weak side, you're going to isolate Saquon Barkley against one player. And that's exactly what happened. And there was some really good blocking on those weak side runs. So I love the fact that the Giants are unpredictable with what they're doing with their rushing attacks so far. That is not something we would have ever said through the last regime, not even close. Yeah, and that's a great point because it's not something we would have said through the last few regimes, really. I mean, there was no diversity in the Pat Shermer run game, and we're finally starting to see a run game that's taking pride in itself. Because, look, they know at this point, the cool thing about this run game is, to me, like, they know this is a run-first team. There's no one making any kind of like, oh, you know what? We'll get that pass game going. We're going to be more balanced at some point. We're going to be a pass-first team. No, no, no. This is an old school. The offense is is run through Saquon Barkley. So these guys can take pride in run blocking and they're make and they're getting so many more opportunities. If you ask any offensive lineman in the NFL, he'll tell you, I'd rather run block than pass block a hundred out of a hundred times. It's a much better option for these players. And they start to get in a groove with it, I feel like at least, when they're doing it so often, when they're the they're the they're the foundation of this offense right now. The blockers and Saquon Barkley and then Daniel Jones running with the football as well due to, like you said, things like misdirection. And in some places, you know, Jones doing smart things, taking, tucking the ball under, making defenders miss, at least pre-injury Jones. We'll see what happens there. But ultimately, they're taking a lot of pride in this, and it's good to see the Giants run game really be the difference in this game. Like I said, 262 yards to 149, despite, you know, the Bears doing a few good things in their run game as well. It's just interesting, man, because I feel like there's so much – there's so many different 
adjustments that Kafka make, even like there, what you said, that little minute thing, like so specific to like try something like, you know, the Giants hadn't been using a lot of 13 personnel prior to this game. And he's like, okay, this opportunity for me to use 13 personnel. What does that do? Oh, it gives us a chance, like you said, to give a one-on-one matchup for Saquon Barkley. He's all about finding matchups, finding these one-on-one situations for, you know, Jones in space to either run the ball or throw the ball or Barkley to make one guy miss in the hole. And that's the difference between, that's been the difference in a lot of the big plays they've made on offense, even not just the big plays, the plays that are moving the football, moving the chains and getting them into position for all these good no field goals. So there's just been a lot of good stuff on the offense side of the ball, despite the fact that they're dealing with, you know, a personnel grouping here across the board, really. That's not ideal this isn't what Mike Kafka would dream up in his in his room like I would have him at quarterback him at receiver him at receiver him at like this is not what he wanted this is not what anyone wanted as coach but they're doing the best with it and they're finding a way to design an offense that can move the ball to an extent and more importantly to me Nick so far the big difference is just they've cashed in more of these drives for touchdowns that was the big problem with the Garrett offense the lack of creativity in the red zone whatever it was like just not scoring from a distance that the Giants have been scoring from a distance the Jones run today want the second run it was a long distance run relatively speaking the Bellinger touchdown from a couple of weeks ago these are longer touchdowns which is a good thing for the Giants because obviously we know they've struggled at times in the, in the red zone but let's talk a little bit about the defensive side of the ball Nick because that stands out to me too I mean you have a complete and utter domination, in my opinion, from the defensive side of the ball from the Giants. Yes, there were a few big plays Justin Fields hit in the pass game and one or two decent runs. I think Herbert had a 15-yard run. Ebner broke one off for 11. Fields had one, like, 16-yard scramble. But that's it, really. That was all really most of the offense they gave up the entire game. They had five sacks in this game, which I think was... No, they had no games last year with five sacks. So this is their first game with five sacks since the season before that, 2020. Um, you sure? The Carolina game? Last year? Um, yeah, it looks at least the, according to this stat, the last year the Giants had zero games where they recorded five sacks. I could be wrong. It could be an incorrect stat. You never know. The, the Giants actually had six sacks according to ESPN in this game. But six one total, of them. Sorry, five in the first half, six total. Yeah, one one was Justin Fields kind of running out of bounds. The other one was Dexter Lawrence tackling him like at the line of scrimmage, but they said it was like a loss of an inch and a half, so it was a sack. That was one of Dexter Lawrence's sacks. Dexter Lawrence, by the way, absolute maniac. I think he had like six pressures in this game. He's really developing into the player that a lot, of, a lot of Giant fans want him to be, but still, this dude's like 350 pounds. I think we always have to keep that in mind. He's not 285 pounds like Eric Donald. Yeah, for sure. He had he had the best game of his season, maybe the best game of his career. If you really think about all the things that were maybe going against him with Leonard Williams out on that defensive line, different bodies in there. We'll get to all of that. So, yeah, five sacks in the first half, six total. At least according to this, they never had that last year. I, I mean, I just thought once again, it was a great game plan by Wink Martindale, but there was also really great execution. How do you I mean to limit an offense like this? You have to be doing everything right. And they were, I mean, just with, with Justin Fields. He has what? This was his 14th start. He's an inexperienced quarterback. Inexperienced quarterbacks do not fare well against coordinators like Wink Martindale, especially when their play callers aren't doing the same things that other play callers are doing around the league if they were to have athletic quarterbacks like Justin Fields, a la what Mike Kafka is doing with Daniel Jones. You didn't see any of that with Luke Getze. All the runs that Justin Fields had, they, they were all him scrambling and him evading pressure and things like that. They're not these uniquely designed runs to keep the defense honest. I felt like the Giants defense was always set up into an advantageous situation against Luke Getze and Justin Fields, because I don't think Fields is going to beat you with his arm. So if you can shut down the run, which the Giants did for the majority of this game, I think you're going to have a significant edge. And the Giants proved that. And the fact that they were able to sack Justin Fields as many times as they did. Two of those sacks, I believe, were these pressures, linebacker twist up front, isolate Khalil Herbert, who's in the six-man protection against two linebackers with Tay Crowder and Jalen Smith. Giants got home twice with that, not to mention Dexter Lawrence just absolutely being a nuisance to Mustafer the entire game and whoever else Dexter Lawrence aligned against. The edges also had really good games. I felt like that Aziz Ojolari bending around the edge, the way he bent there, bro, looked like Gumby. 
bro. That was a great rep by him, and it was a very heady play by Kayvon Thibodeau to fall on that. You don't really see a lot of rookies do that. He had the wherewithal and the and the savviness to fall on that football, and that ended up being a forced fumble when a lot of people thought it was just an incomplete pass. Right. Great point. Yeah. I mean, I thought both those guys looked really good in this game, for, at least from the broadcast angle, Aziz Ojalar and Kayvon Thibodeau. They're not they're 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 getting to the point where you want them to be. I mean, like you said, heady play from Thibodeau. Ojolari finished this game with a sack, two for Dexter Lawrence, actually, according to the statistics at least. Jihad Ward won and Tate Crowder won. You already talked about Dexter Lawrence, who had a phenomenal game. How about Tate Crowder? I mean, this might have been the game that we were looking for for him all season long. It absolutely was. He had one mishap from the broadcast film that I saw, and that was on that 15-yard run by Khalil Herbert that you brought up a little bit ago. That was on Tay Crowder, I felt like. Someone climbed up to him, and he just didn't expand out, and then the, it just hit right into his gap, and, and it went for a first down. But other than that, the guy was everywhere. Blitzing, dropping into coverage, in the run game, always where he needed to be. Him and Jalen Smith working together looked fantastic from the vantage point that I had off of the broadcast. I'm really excited to watch the All-22, and I'll be paying really close attention to those two because if the Giants can get that type of linebacker play at all or anything close to that, then this defense is going to be much stronger. Now, this could just be a one-off game against a weak offense with an inexperienced quarterback. Could be that. But heck, man, from what I saw from the broadcast, I was very impressed with what Tay Crowder and Jalen Smith did together. Yeah, at least from... Our vantage point from what we know right now from the broadcast, it really does feel like they've made an upgrade with Jalen Smith at linebacker next to Tate Crowder. He had a great, he had a, a really good game for where he's at, you know, for this is his first game with this new system. And I overall, did notice yeah. one thing though, Dan, that, that, uh, Justin Fields, and it was that third and 10 play in the second quarter, about 255 left. The Giants ran two man under. That's something they didn't run a lot in the first two weeks, but they ran it a little bit against Dallas. We talked about it on the All 22 podcast. Fields had Darnell Mooney wide open streaking, yeah, yep. but he missed the read because he needed to pick up the first down with his legs because he noticed it was man coverage. So he bailed a little early. I don't really want to fault him with that, but it's just one of those things that you're like, damn, dude, like Xavier McKinney initially covered it and then he flipped his hips to to cover the nine route to the outside. But Mooney was wide open and Mooney threw his hands up in the air and everything afterwards. Giants got away with one there. Yeah, they did. I'm sure. If we watch the film, we might see a few more on both sides of the ball for that with these two quarterbacks. I wouldn't be shocked. You, you always see some when you look, when you watch the film. You always see some where you're like, oh, I wonder if he had made that read, what would have happened. That one for sure, if Fields was fast enough with his process and gets that quick enough, it's just an open touchdown for him. That would have yeah, been even easy. Patrick Mahomes yeah. missed a Nicole Hardman wide open on Sunday night football in the yep. end zone. So like, the best do that too. Yep, everyone does it. Does the amount. How, 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 how frequently do you do it? You want to try to limit that, but... <laughs> I thought overall, man, the defense got pressures and key spots. I'm excited to break down on film some of the blitzes and some of the different looks Wink Martindale had on defense because you look at this game and you have another game where a quarterback completes, what, just 50% of his attempts. That is so hard to do these days as NFL defense to hold a quarterback to 50% or fewer on completions. With how many easy completions there are to get these days in the NFL and all the dump-offs and all the check-downs, it's just crazy to hold him to just 11 completed passes on 22 attempts. Obviously, on the flip side of the ball, the Giants only completed nine passes as an offense. The only 20 total passes completed in this game. In an NFL game, Nick, 20 passes and, uh, completed. I'm thinking, too, how many third downs did the Bears convert not using Justin Fields' legs? And obviously, that's a part of the game, so you, you can't just remove that. But most of the third downs that are coming to my mind right now are all Justin Fields just scrambling, evading the pressure and using his God-given ability to pick up the first down. Yeah. I mean, th there weren't many. Th there weren't. It didn't feel like there were too many where he found a solution. He, I can't he had one. Any. He had one to Mooney, I think, up the sideline that that was in the beginning of the beginning of the second half. And then after that, like, I don't even know if the Bears did anything. They, they had like three straight three and outs, and then they went like four and out. And then I think that's all they did. Like, they got completely shut out in the second half, which says a couple of things. It says the Giants defense really stepping up when they need to be. They're not getting fatigued or tired. And it also shows the fact that maybe the Giants defensive coordinator, Wink Martindale, did an excellent job scheming against whatever Luke Getze was putting out there because you go three and out 
three times in a row in a yeah. close game. That's that's tough right there. And it could be an indictment on the quarterback as well. But like we said a little earlier, this is a young damn quarterback out there. And it also didn't seem like, and I'm not a huge Justin Fields believer, but it also didn't seem like his coordinator was doing a lot to, to help him out or to assist him. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Why is this new water called Liquid Death? Because it will brutally murder your thirst. And the recyclable Tallboy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. I've tried Liquid Death, and I am still here. I'm not plastic, nor am I thirsty anymore, because my former parched state was quenched by the tart acidic taste of one of their flavors, Severed Lime. The lime became severed because it messed with another Liquid Death flavor, Mango Chainsaw, which combines real agave nectar with Leatherface to slice the uncomfortable drought festering in your oral cavity. Into berries and fruit, go six feet deep with a heartbeat with their sparkling flavor, bury it alive. If you love still or sparkling water, go get Liquid Death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundy's, or Hy-Vee, or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com. Just use the promo code BIGBLUE. That's liquiddeath.com slash BIGBLUE. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? Do you like to place bets and find ways to optimize your betting experience? Well, then OddsTrader.com is the place for you. OddsTrader is a place to compare odds from all the major sports books. You can also compare the different sign-up codes and promotions from sports books to get the best deal. OddsTrader offers handicapping, play-by-play updates, player statistics, key game statistics, live scoring and tracking, projected game day, weather, and Bet Tracker allows you to keep records of all your games and betting activity. So if you like to place bets and you want to get the most out of that experience, go to oddstrader.com and use the promo code BLUEWIRE. That's oddstrader.com slash BLUEWIRE. OddsTrader, the number one site for all your game day bets. And that's just the difference right there with Kafka versus these guys. You can notice it. Anyone, I think, watching the game it's not just nick and me or nick and i can notice that this is happening like yeah this is not it's not just nick and i noticing there's a difference right this was a game plan specific to what the personnel was i have daniel this is my my thought on what kafka's thinking i have daniel jones in my quarterback right now i have a limited receiver core with injuries all over it and limitations even with even if they weren't injured but especially with the guys that are left i have an offensive line that Maybe can pass block at times, but I don't want to risk it. They weren't doing a good job with the drop block pass uh, pass blocking game last week. They weren't doing it against Carolina to the point where he had to change what he wanted to do in game there because they weren't doing it. Um, obviously, Tennessee week one was a disaster with Jeffrey Simmons. Re-amp. So he's like, I'm going to change my whole game plan based on this. But that's not the case for the Bears. They didn't really do that, like you said, Nick. And that's the difference right there. You have to fully commit as a coordinator. You can't just a couple plays move the pocket with with fields or something like that if things aren't working in your on your offense you have to change things you can't just keep going back to the well and hoping if we execute it better if we practice it better because at times it doesn't matter how much you practice it or how well you can execute it you're or it does matter how well you can execute but you don't have the guys to execute it right now justin fields can't execute what system that they luke gets he wants to run he's trying to install the system He's given him everything, but as of right now, like you said, Nick, what, 14 games under his belt, horrific offensive line, no real weapons outside of, I guess, Darnell Moody, who's pretty much overrated anyway as a weapon. He's better as a two or three. Now he's their one. And, you know, 
that's a tough that's a tough ask. But the Giants are in a similar situation. With the exception of Saquon Barkley and Andrew Thomas, they don't really have any dominant players on their offensive side of the ball either. But the difference is the Giants found solutions, specifically in the run game, I want to say, Nick, because it is fair to mention you talked about how, look, the Bears didn't really find any solutions on third down with Justin Fields through the passing game with the exception of those broken scrambles. The Giants didn't really find any first down solutions either. They had an 18-yard nope. pass to Tanner Hudson at one point. I mean, the next yeah, they had like one to Richie James too. One like that's to all. Richie James. They so had ugly. one to Slade in for eleven, but that was Tyrod Taylor, and it was like a third and long. Their next biggest game was a fifteen yarder to Barkley, and then the one Bellinger to cut two Bellinger plays, one for nine, like you said, the free yardage, then a twelve yarder to Bellinger. So they didn't find any solutions either. The difference is the the Giants ran the ball a lot better than the Bears. The Giants were forty four for two sixty two versus thirty two for one forty nine, and that was. Really and truly, the difference in this game it was a 20 to 12 game where the Giants had one more turnover, which helped too, but more importantly, dominated in the run game. But the one more turnover doesn't even really help. It was a fumble at right, the end of right. the game. True, so true. it really was too. It could have if they kicked the field goal. If they didn't miss the field goal, it would have, it would have been a sealer. But yeah. Yeah, the Dane Belton fumble recovery on that crazy play to end the game. There's one defensive name. Oh, no oh one... I see what you're talking about. I thought you were talking about. Yeah. The yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that I was, know that went down as I forgot that did go down as a fumble. Yep. So one defensive name I wanted to bring up because when I rewatched it on game pass, I was like, this guy did not play a lot of snaps last week and he had a pretty key role in this game. And I don't think it was by mistake. And that's Tomon Fox. Tomon Fox was in there. On, I think a, was one I think it might have been the second Bears drive and he or might have been the first what have you whatever he had like two edge setting plays that just stopped the Bears rushing attack to set up a third seven and then the Bears threw an incomplete pass and had to kick a field goal and he every time he was in there he was in there aggressively setting the edge and I'm wondering if he was dressed specifically for that role and also just to maybe keep legs fresh of Aziz Ojolari and Kayvon Thibodeau because from what I've seen from Timon Fox just through preseason and early in this season he's an NFL player he's not just like a, oh yeah that's that undrafted guy from UNC he yeah he, he can go in no like you can trust him to go in there and be physical and rush the passer and get pressure and drop into coverage he could wear a lot of different hats so I'm excited to see how that looks on the all 22 but just from the broadcast he kind of stuck out to me you don't really see when your first round pick, last year's second round pick, come back healthy. You don't really see somebody like an undrafted UDFA rookie come in and play. I don't know if it was significant snaps, but play snaps and then jump out on film for you. So I really wanted to kind of tip my cap just off the broadcast to Timon Fox. Yeah, maybe an early pick for unheralded player of the game on film. We'll see once we get to it. But unheralded player, he may be. Heralded on the flip side would be Wink Martindale at this point. I mean, look, the injuries are crazy at this point. He loses Love in game. Aaron Robinson, who knows when we're going to see either of those two. Love said he should be back soon. We'll see. Sucks for Robinson as he just made it back. Thibodeau, but that was back spasm. He should be okay. Um, I think they lost Ojolari. That one we don't know about. That's a calf. That could be another re That could be a bad one, especially because Ojolari was starting to look really good in this game. But all these injuries again, and they still just figure out a way, man, to get it done. To get it done on the defensive side of the ball, they really dominate this game defensively, which was amazing to see. So excited for the defensive podcast, I really am. But I have to say this too, man. To flip it back to the offense, we should talk about two players that we didn't talk too much about. Yeah. Well, we talked we talked a decent amount about Saquon Barkley, but I want to mention that screen, bro. That is a huge play right there to pick up the third down to set up the second touchdown to Daniel Jones. That's a gigantic play from Saquon Barkley. And you got Daniel Jones freaking lead blocking out there like he's Mike Allstott, dude. Like, there aren't a lot of players in the NFL, I feel like, that can pull off that type of play that Saquon Barkley did. Yeah, he put the team on his back. It really was the game-winning play, if you think about it. Like you said, they were going to – it was third and nine at 27. Failed screen. He cuts it back, takes it 15 yards across the formation. It was awesome to see. And they score a touchdown two plays later. That would have been a field goal. And – might have not decided the game in the, the way it ended up playing out, but ultimately it could have decided the game. Like you said, no one can do that. I want to talk a little bit about the receivers in this game. Yep. Um, I was definitely disappointed with Sills. I'm getting to the point with Sills where, you know, I don't see much there. I think he can make a, a contested catch occasionally, a back shoulder. He can get open, not really 
at his, I don't really think like when he gets open, like some of the catches he's made on these third downs over the last, over the first three games for this one, Nick, I feel like haven't really been him. They've kind of just been Jones getting through progressions and, and getting the ball to him or just kind of just a product of the route combinations. He dropped a key pass today. He doesn't create any vertical separation. He doesn't really win in contesting. He's not really like an in-the-air adjuster with amazing body control. He doesn't really pluck away from his body like some kind of beast. He has no after-the-catch upside. At this point, I just feel like he's holding the Giants back on the field there. I don't know. What are your thoughts on Sills? I'm kind of right there with you. I think... Brian Dable, Mike Kafka appreciate the fact that he is where he needs to be. And I think that is a big part of this offense and something we've brought up before, but maybe we don't bring it up enough because I think there are a lot of players who are wide receivers who we think should get more snaps than Sills who aren't because they're not where they need to be, meaning they don't run the correct route based on what Brian Dable wants them to do based on what the defense is showing. And I think Sills does that. And I think Richie James does that. Kenny Galladay, I don't know. Maybe he doesn't do it consistent enough there. That's he's an absolute enigma. When it comes to the wide receiver situation, we'll talk about the one individual I haven't mentioned yet, Darius Slayton. But I just think the Giants really need Wandell Robinson to get healthy. And I think they also need Kadarius Tony as a spark plug and just figure it out. This coaching staff is smart enough to figure it out if he's not fully up to speed with with the playbook he might be at this point i'm not sure but if he's not figure out a way to utilize his unique skill set but in terms of darius slayton darius slayton offers something that none of the wide receivers who are active right now do in my opinion in your opinion in a lot of people's opinion and i think in the giants opinion because they were taking deep shots to darius slayton unfortunately darius slayton is one of the most inefficient wide receivers in the NFL. He's been that the last two years. I'm not trying to be a douche. I'm just telling the truth. I like his skill set. I think he is fast. I think he has shown the ability to release off the line of scrimmage, good acceleration, but he has to catch the football. And that has been one of his biggest downfalls over the last two seasons. He has an opportunity in this game and he drops a football. Yeah, he was, he got the DPI, which was could have probably been a PI on Slayton too, a little bit of a push off. So I thought it was a little ticky tacky. If I'm going to be honest, he got that happy for you. And then he's the receiver who's targeted on the interception. It doesn't even look like he's doing anything to hinder Eddie Jackson from getting the football and just little things like that. I'm looking at, I'm just like, why, (laughs) why? Like, I just want him to be more efficient. And I don't think he ever comes close to living up to the potential that he has. I think the potential and the ceiling that he had was, is what we saw in 2019 in his rookie season. I don't know if he can be better than that. I think you're right. He's only been trending the opposite direction since then. And he's not like, he still offers that a level of explosiveness in and out of his breaks and upside. Therefore in creating separation, something this wide receiver core is currently struggling to do. But as a rookie, he was doing that at a higher rate. Like that's the other thing we're not talking about. He had better release off the line of scrimmage. He was getting open a lot more often as a rookie too. So it's not like his best trait is still a doled down version, dimmed down version of what it was. And then he's also dropping footballs. Like, yes, he got the DPI there, which I kind of agree with you. We got a little bit lucky on that call. I mean, it's fine to call it there. We've, we've been hit with some bet, whatever, but the good receivers make that catch. Like he has two hands on the football it's a concentrate. I don't know if it's a concentration thing. It doesn't really matter what it is at this point. We know that's who he is. That's what you like. Like you said, after it happened, when you text me, you're like, it's a microcosm of Darius Slayton. He does a good job creating the separation for, so you can actually throw the deep ball to him, but he can't actually reel in the deep ball when it gets there. And so right now he's still an inconsistent player that is going to get some snaps because Kenny Galladay left this game with a knee injury, another injury for Kenny Galladay who, you know, is struggling. And, David Sills is out. They have to play David Sills, Richie James. So what it comes down to is this. The Giants haven't thrown the ball for more than 200 yards in a single one of these games. That's an insane stat. That is not a modern NFL offense stat. It's, if you had told me right now, Nick, we'd be four games into the season. The Giants are three and one. And they hadn't eclipsed the 200 passing yard mark once. I would have been like, you're crazy. You're literally crazy. How do you win three or four football games when you don't even I, throw for 200 yards? I would have thought. For I would have thought. I would have thought they had so many pick sixes and stuff. They don't have any. They don't even have an interception yet. <laughs> They're not really throwing the football. Like, that's the thing. They're not really yeah. trying to throw the football for the most part. That's, that's And it's fine. This is what the game plan should be right now. Now, there's different arguments as to why that's the case. I think it's a little bit overblown. If A lot of people are just like, this is all because the receivers. This is all because the offensive line. 
That one, I think, is a little bit, eh, I don't know about that. I think if you asked a lot of coaches and people who study the game, they'd probably tell you that that's impossible. For when a, when a passing offense is this, you know, not even moving the ball at all, it's not just the O-line and the receivers. There's three players, there's three components in place. Yes. And that yes. third component is the quarterback, too. Absolutely. And I think that's very astutely put by you. But I will also say this. All of these games, and this is a good thing, they've all been neutral game script. The game never got away from the Giants. They were never trailing. But this is also showing you what the Giants want to do in a neutral game script right now. They're not trying to put too much on the quarterback. Do you think the Chiefs, where Mike Kafka just was, with someone like Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen with Buffalo, where Brian Dable just was, in a neutral game script, are they running the football as much as the Giants are? No, of course not. And yeah. and that's not us being negative or anything like that. We're very happy with what the New York Giants are doing. They're winning football games. We're ecstatic about that fact, but we just want to be realistic about what's going on here with this football team that we all love so damn dearly. Yeah, everyone knows that the the ceiling for this the ceiling for this team is to have you're they're not going to be their best unless they have something more in the passing game. That's obvious. The Giants have won 3 or 4 games, but one was against the Panthers, who are going to be one of the worst teams in the NFL this year. I think it's pretty clear. One was against the Bears, who are going to be one of the worst teams in the NFL, despite that they won two games, at least in my opinion. Still think I would take the under six and a half. Titans, I think, is looking like a pretty decent win. And then they lost to the Cowboys. And we'll see what happens to the Titans. But I, I feel like that's looking pretty decent. The Titans look the pretty The Colts good. might just suck, though. The too, Colts man. also do just suck. Even though they somehow which beat is, the Chiefs. Which I, is so, I, so wild. It was such a poorly coached game by Reed. But... The fact of the matter is, to win games in the playoffs, let's say, let's say the Giants can get to the playoffs. Well, then, if they want to make a run, they have to do more in the passing game. But like Nick said, that's or like I'm saying, and I think Nick agrees with, I don't want to put words ever in Nick's mouth, there is still a ceiling for this passing game. It's not what we saw today. It's not what we saw at any point yet this season. They Like Nick said, and it's the truth, they're really reserved right now with this thing. They're really more focused on not having the back-breaking interception or the back-breaking fumble on the sack where we're hanging in the pocket on a five- or seven-step drop hoping for something to develop downfield. They're finding different ways to move the ball and win games, like you said, where the game script is in their favor the whole time. They're they're able to control it to an extent. But, but there is still a ceiling involved. They have two top 43 overall picks from the last two drafts on this roster. Now, you could say, oh, they misevaluated Wondell Robinson. He doesn't belong as a top 43 pick. Oh, they misevaluated Kadarius Tony. He doesn't belong as a top 20 pick. That's your argument. You can have it, or you can go the opposite side. They did a good job with these scouting. These guys are worth it. I've seen the tape. These guys have that kind of talent. All, the, all I know, Nick, is that draft capital wins out a lot in these situations. And ultimately, those are your best bets. Kadarius Tony has already shown that he has upside. To be, I know everyone's like, oh, I'm so done with Kadarius Tony with all these injuries. Fine, be done with him, but that doesn't help anything. Like at any <laughs> point, he could luckily get back on the field. Like we're acting like there's this there's this thought. My, I feel like Nick, there's this mindset out there that like you know what, Tony's just always going to be hurt. He's hurt now. He's always going to be hurt. That's not necessarily true. Like he could have a 10 game stretch of healthy coming up, and we will just. It's not going to shock me at all. It shouldn't shock anyone. Like. It's he's at a little bit of this is bad luck, I think, with the injuries. Like, right? It's not all on Tony right now. And we know that he's already displayed the upside. As far as Wandell Robinson goes, we haven't seen it yet at the NFL level, at least, though there were moments in his tape at Kentucky against the SEC. But if he can get healthy and Kadarius Tony can get healthy at the same time, that's where the ceiling comes from with this passing game. But it needs both of those guys on the field. They're by far and away at this point, given Galladay's situation with where he's at post injury and now another injury is going to play through where David Sills is at and where Richie James is at. These two guys are their upside. This is how the Giants reached their ceiling this year. Wondell Robinson, Darius Tony on the field, getting more snaps than any other receivers on this roster, to be completely honest. That's the, that, that's the blueprint. And so that's what I'm looking forward to. I know this, ha- this passing game, yeah, it hasn't gotten going yet, but it's not, there's nowhere, without Tony and Wondell on the field, Nick, I'm not ready to evaluate it until, the, until they can get those guys on the field. Absolutely. It's a confluence of a bunch of different things as to why the passing game has not got going. But all I know right now is you got to play who's on your schedule and the Giants have three wins out of four games. And I'm ecstatic about that. I'm happy about that. And I'm a little bit worried about going to England with Aaron Rodgers and the Giants with a new just list, man, of injuries. We have no idea the severity of a lot of these injuries. So we have to wait and see, and we'll be covering them a lot here. But 
Is there anything else that you want to go over with the offensive side or the wide receiver position? Yeah, we touched on Sills. We touched on Galladay, um, Richie James, you know, just play, playing above, you know, above par, I would say. You know, he's he's obviously been all they could ask for at this point for somebody who came in, you know, early in camp and showed that he, he at least had signs of potentially being a, a piece of this offense as they need him to be. And he's done what he's asked to be. He's, I, mean, I think he's, he's going to always be a piece probably. Like the Giants, yeah. like this is, this is like a 30,000-foot view question. But say Kadarius Tony and Wando Robinson just are healthy. What's the Giants receiving core look like? All these guys are, are are similar molds of just being slot. You want them to be the number two or the number three type of receiver. None of them are the true number one. And when I mean number one, I'm talking about the alignment, not just like the number one wide receiver as in the option. So an outside receiver. None of those guys are outside. So what's the 11 personnel package for the Giants when both of those receivers are healthy? Yeah, it's interesting if they would keep Wandell, Tony, and James on the field. I would think, like, again, for me, ideal is still, especially now that I guess Slayton, I guess we're just getting, I'm sorry, I guess we're just giving up on Galladay. <laughs> I don't know what else to do at this point. He's injured again. He's left with a knee injury. He's going to play his 25 to 30 snaps maybe a game, <laughs> I think, with the current state without Sterling Shepard there. And I, I don't have his snap counts in front of me, but I'm imagining it was probably in that area from from today's win, right? Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't know because he left in the middle of the third quarter. And, like, I just – the reason I say I wouldn't know, Nick, is just, like, I don't notice him when he's out there. He doesn't do anything for them. <laughs> he had the one nice block. I'll give him that. He had a yeah. really nice block on, on one Saquon Barkley run. It seems like he's – like, again, man, I watched the film, and I'm like, is this guy dogging it? Like, I try to, like, get into his head. I'm like, is this guy just not trying? Because, like, I watch him block downfield for, like, 40 yards on some of these long runs. Like, he is hustling. I just don't think he has. I don't think he has the ability to run routes anymore that aren't just nine routes. And the nine routes that he runs should be called like two routes because there's no speed to him. There's no acceleration. There's no separation ability to these freaking routes at all, man. And that's more of the issue. But whenever he's asked to block, I feel like he goes in there and gives it his all, which, you know, credit to him because he's in a situation he probably doesn't want to be in. But at the same time, you're getting paid 72 million freaking dollars. Dude, you got to catch some touchdowns. You got to be a difference maker. You got to bail your quarterback back out none of those things are happening yeah and I, I i think i would lean toward where you just said to start that like i don't know if it's going to come back i think he could just be done so if that's the case and you're asking me what's the ideal personnel grouping for them to me it's wandell tony and slayton i'll be honest it's still slayton yeah he dropped the pass today okay let him keep working at it give him more reps let him get some kind of rhythm down with jones let him get a lot of a lot more snaps in that same role where he can create separation. But ultimately for me, Nick, I always want some kind of vertical speed on the boundary. I just need it in my offense. I can't, I don't like how offenses function without it. Even today, just taking that shot vertically to Slayton did change a little bit. We'll see it on film, but it could have changed a little bit. I don't want to say it did. I want to look at the film of what Chicago wanted to do on defense and what they can do. And it would change more if they could make it a bigger component of their offense. And it's not to say I don't think Wandell and Tony can do it. I think they can do it from the slot. I think they can both run the slot vert and get separation that way. But to have a boundary guy like Slayton, that would be helpful. To me, it's the ideal situation with what's left on this roster. And that, to me, yeah, Richie James would be, in my scenario, Nick, more of like a fill-in if they have an injury to one of Tony or Robinson. We saw two deep shots to Slayton, which is not something we've seen much this season at all. Yeah. We we talked about last week how he had a double move. We're like, oh, Slayton had a double move on the outside, huh? Like, but but that is something different because we're not seeing that. We see a lot of horizontal crossing patterns. Obviously, you're going to have someone run the nine route to to keep the safeties honest, but they're not being attacked all that often. We saw in week one with Sterling Shepard that happened with the blitz coming on him, and I felt like Daniel Jones did a good job delivering the football to Shep in that situation. But the Giants, I mean, I, I think. Daniel Jones, Dan, has one of the lowest yards per pass on on every attempt that he throws in in the NFL out of the starting quarterbacks, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, his air yards are among the lowest of any starting quarterback. His just yards per attempt as well, in addition to his air yards, are super low among all quarterbacks. He had 5.5 yards per attempt this game. It's been in the fives, I feel like, all year. His ADOT, it's average up target, even lower. Like I said, they're not really asking him to operate a, a traditional passing offense right now. Um, and again, there are reasons for it, the receivers, the O-line, but at some point they, they they're going to have to ask this of him. Like this isn't going to work. Like you said, 
it's been nice so far because game script wise, they haven't had to go too far away from what they want to do. But if they go down 21 nothing or 24 nothing or something or like 28 to 7 or 28 to 3 against the Packers, all bets are off. They have to go into the gun and they're going to have to start throwing the football. And that's when we finally kind of get to see like how this passing offense is going to look if they actually open things up and let them throw the ball and let Daniel Jones throw the ball to what's left at receiver and what's there at receiver. And so there still is a ceiling for me, Nick. Like I still see a scenario where Evan Neal makes a big jump the rest of the year. Glowinski mm-hmm. settles in. They figure out left guard. So they start to get much more production on the O-line. Then, like I said, Tony and Robinson can both play or even just one of the two. And you start now you have some actual options at receiver in addition to Bellinger. And at that point, I want to see a drop back. I want to see them start to pass the ball. If they don't start to pass the ball, that's when you start to say, all right, well, how 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 far can they go with this plan? To Daniel Jones's credit, he's done well with everything that Kafka has asked him to, even when he has to throw the football with those just quick hitters and those RPOs. So it's reasonable to believe that with the return of Kadarius Tony, Wanda Robinson, the offensive line stabilizes, which could realistically happen, especially if Shane Lemieux comes back and is is better than what we've had at left guard then Daniel Jones could possibly take some sort of a step and actually throw for more than 200 yards, which is a ridiculous statement in and of itself, but he hasn't thrown for 200 yards yet through four games, yet the Giants have still won three games, which is a testament to something, you know? It's a testament yeah, to Jones in, in some in some way. It's a testament to Mike Kafka and the coaching, right? But it's definitely a huge just tip of the cap to Saquon Barkley, who is this team's MVP. Without a doubt, yeah. He's they they wouldn't be in this. I mean, like you said, three wins out of four games with 200 yards or fewer. That doesn't happen in today's NFL, but we'll see what happens. Big game coming up this week. Before we get out of here, I want to talk a little bit about the big injury. We'll get into some of these other ones as we go through the week. It's going to be another extensive Giants injury report. We're waiting on beta. Like I'm waiting for all these updates, man. I got to figure We got to figure out where they're at. This is a short week. They're traveling to London. This is the worst timing for this type of thing, but the quarterback situation, let's end there because there's so much craziness going on. So just to recap, in case anyone missed the game, I doubt they did, but we'll do it anyway. Daniel Jones got injured in this game. Looked like he hurt his foot, was getting it taped, seen getting it taped up at some point, then was walking around a little bit on the sideline. But Tyrod Taylor came in immediately. They did not put Jones back in the game. That was it. Tyrod Taylor plays a little bit, tries a, tries a deep ball, gets intercepted on it, has an insanely amazing run. And then goes head first into an all really took that on head first into a defensive player, helmet to helmet, immediately taken out of the game. Now, given what happened on Thursday with Tua, horrible by the NFL and a horrible look for them as well. I'm pretty sure, Nick, that anyone who got anything remotely close to a concussion or anything like that in this game was not seeing the field again. The NFL was not letting it happen. I'm sure there was some kind of memo there. So I don't really feel like we know the extent or the severity of the Taylor injury, but it was enough to completely take him out of this game, like we said. And so the Giants ultimately had to go to a wildcat offense, which I predicted, and, and I was not surprised to see. And there's nothing else they can do anyway, right? Like, they don't even have, like, Kadarius Tony to do, like, some trick plays or anything. So it was Barkley and the cat. They had one nice run to Brita, the cat. Um, but that's obviously not sustainable. So here's what's going to happen. If Jones is in too injured to play, which we'll get to speculation on that in a second, if Taylor doesn't pass through the concussion protocol, because now he has to go through that, Davis Webb's probably going to be the starter against the Packers if those things are happening because – there's no better option. He knows the system. No one else can come in and operate this offense right now, but Davis Webb, he is that dude. Like he's the only one who could step in in that game and literally get through a game by just understanding the the offense, calling the plays, getting getting them in, getting in the huddle, getting them to the other players. That would be the most wild thing to see, Nick, but let's tackle it when that happens. What did what what's your thoughts on this ridiculous QB injury situation they're dealing with? It's very unfortunate, but first team all preseason, David Sills, man, the guy is a baller in the preseason. It's definitely not something I want to see. I'm hoping, I mean, it sucks, man, because I'm hoping Daniel Jones is just going to be healthy for this, but if Daniel Jones can't move, I don't know what kind of offense Mike Kafka is going to run because every week, and we've talked about it, go back. If, If you're a listener of this show, every week, dating back to week one, we were like, wow, they really like to move the pocket and roll Daniel Jones out. And then week two, we're like, oh, yeah, they really do. And then last week, we were like, that was 
85% of the game plan. And then this week we're like, yeah, that was basically the entire game plan. You need to be mobile in this offense right now with the way Mike Kafka is calling it. And if Daniel Jones can't use his legs, I don't know how effective he's going to be within the the framework of what Mike Kafka and Brian Dable want. So I think it's fascinating, even if he's good enough to go, if the Giants are going to want to put him out there or if they're just like, dude, just rest. Just rest. We'll see you in two, three weeks. Let's put Tyrod out there or let's put Davis Webb, who has some wheels on him, mind you. Let's put them out there and see what we can do because I think that is a, a big part of what this Giants offense is doing this season. So my speculation from what I heard is, at least from what Jones said, they're going to get some more, you know, they're going to do an x-ray and MRI, but I feel like he could have played if he, if he had to in this one, if the game plan, he even made mention of something like, you know, if the game plan was different and it didn't rely so much on my legs, I could have maybe gone back into the game. But then with the healthy tie rod, you obviously go to Taylor. So I think Taylor, Nick, this is also a guess, total guess, will be cleared for this game just based on how it looked um, with him moving around fine on the sideline. We'll see what happens there. If not, obviously they go to Webb. But I would say this. If Jones is at the point where he can't move, they're better off using Tyrod Taylor. I do. I'm not saying I think Tyrod Taylor is a better option overall. But a Jones that can't move is not a better option right now than a Tyrod Taylor who can move. Because as you saw, the Giants will just use Tyrod Taylor on the move as a runner, just like they use Jones, or on those boot, with the boot action to throw on the run as well, just like they use Jones. And he gives them a better option. And like you said with Webb, He's not a mobile. He's not as mobile as Taylor or Jones, but he can move as well. And he'll also give them the option of, you know, running those kinds of plays. If you have a limited Daniel Jones, he should not play in this game. I agree. And Webb also has a cannon too, which is kind of cool. But I will say this about Tyrod, and we definitely witnessed this in the game. And I've also seen it throughout his career. He's kind of reckless when he's out in space. Like yeah. he needs he needs a crash course on how to get down. And I appreciate that was a third and seven situation. You want to get the third down, but bro, you have to know that you're the backup quarterback right now. You you can't get killed like 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 you did essentially. So that's that's one thing he needs to learn how to protect himself. For a veteran, that's something that I, I would expect him to to do a better job of. But man, he was he he let himself out there and he got leveled on that play. Hopefully, he's okay. He's also more reckless with the ball as a passer too. That's the thing that worries me a lot more about Taylor too. Jones has gotten to the point where he's not really taking many chances that can lead to turnovers. Good. That's a good thing right now. The way this team is constructed through mm-hmm. Barkley and through the defense, that's fine. That's what we need. A quarterback who's not going to turn the ball over. And I know he technically turned one over against the Cowboys, but that was just BS. I mean, still trip slipped on his route and like that wouldn't have been an interception, but if Taylor's going to be reckless with the ball, that doesn't give him a better chance to win, but they need the mobility first and foremost. So it'll be interesting to see that that decision too. Like if Jones is like, I want to play, I can't really move, but I can operate out of the drop back game and throw the ball. I'm curious to see what they do there. I'm guessing they're going to give him a week off, but it kind of does depend on Taylor because do you want a Jones who can't move or do you want a Davis Webb off the street who's just like thrown right into the mix, has to travel deep to London and start the game? It's not off the street, though, because he is on the practice squad. So he yeah, he's in the building and he knows this offense very well. And I think. I think if anything we could take away from the week three loss to the Dallas Cowboys is that middling backup quarterbacks who are really comfortable in offenses can do damage. And that yeah. doesn't mean that Davis Webb is going to go in there and light up the Green Bay Packers, but the coaches in the building know their personnel enough to to make the best decision yeah. for who to start. And I think the, the coaches do a great enough job with the personnel they have that they could have a game plan specific for Davis Webb. Like if they're forced to use Webb, we could have some, we could have a game plan where we're saying, Oh wow, that play looked really interesting. And Webb threw that specific pass really well. Good design. They had an opportunity to get off that specific pass for Davis Webb. And he showed why that was part of the game plan. And so I think you're right. I think more importantly, why I said he gives them the best option rather than anyone they could find off the streets at this point is because of what you said, the knowledge of the system. So we'll see what happens there. I haven't seen, I was just checking now. I haven't seen any updates on these injuries yet at all. I wonder if we won't get any because they've been really guarded with injuries in general, this team, but we'll, we'll have to keep an eye on that. Obviously day to day and Jair Alexander, the star cornerback (laughs) for the green Bay Packers didn't play today against the new England Patriots. So, 
it would be huge if he doesn't play against the Giants because you know he's probably uh, probably going to have the edge on David Sills. So let's just put that out there. Yeah, and we'll have to see what happens there as well. But yeah, that's all we have for tonight. Uh, recap of another Giants win. Awesome. We said this was a must-win game. It really was. They needed to get to 3-1 and one out of this tough part of their schedule, this little tough two-game stretch here with the Packers and the Ravens. But they got it done. They were great in the run game. Overall, Saquon Barkley was great. A few moments in the past game. More, more importantly, though, Daniel Jones uh, once again proved to be the, almost like a second running back as a weapon in the run game. That's back-to-back weeks with him nearing 150 yards over that two-week span. I think it was like 130-something. And then on defensive side of the ball, a lot of big games from big – a lot of big games overall, but more importantly, just a great team performance there with great scheme and great defense overall. So, can't not be pleased with where the Giants are at right now. They're winning games they would never win with the previous coaching staff. They would, I think they'd probably be one and three or zero oh and four to be completely honest with that staff. And so that's what that's all you ask for. You know, that that's how you build the culture. You build the culture by winning. And that's and that's that's what's happening right now. This team is playing hard for this for this staff. So we move forward. We go to week five at three and one. You know, no one's going to give the Giants credit for this game against the Packers. I don't think anyone's going to pick the Packers. I'm sure they'll end up almost touchdown point underdog, especially depending on the injuries. We'll see what happens there. But we'll see, man. This will be their first interesting test. Like, can they do something crazy and knock off a team like the Packers? This would be, I think, their first time the Green Bay Packers playing in England. I don't think they have ever had a game there. They're the only team who hasn't played there. We'll see what happens here. We'll see what happens. But go Giants, 3-1, and one, baby. It's all you can ask for. We'll be back this week. All 22 breakdowns coming. The usual preview of the Packers game. Maybe a few other things. Maybe a mailbag this week as well. Keep it locked and loaded. Have a great week. Go Giants. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.